we welcome you to the Tabernacle Podcast, brought to you by the Tabernacle Baptist Church in Hickory, North Carolina. If you'd like to learn more about Tabernacle, you can visit our website, tabernaclebaptistchurch.com. You can find other sermons like this one on Apple Podcast, YouTube, and Sermon Audio. It is our prayer that God has used this message to be an encouragement to your heart. I'd like for you to go with me this morning to the book of 2 Samuel, chapter number 5. 2 Samuel, chapter number 5. We'll begin reading in verse number 17, 2 Samuel, chapter number 5. And verse number 17, we'll read through uh, the end of the chapter, through verse 25. The Bible says, But when the Philistines heard that they had anointed David king over Israel, All the Philistines came up to seek David, and David heard of it and went down to the hold. The Philistines also came and spread themselves in the valley of Rephim. And David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I go up to the Philistines? Wilt thou deliver them into mine hand? And the Lord said unto David, Go up, for I will doubtless deliver the Philistines into thine hand. And David came to Belparazim, And David smote them there and said, The Lord hath broken forth upon mine enemies before me as the branch or as the breach rather of waters. And therefore he called the name of that place Baal Parasim. And there they left their images and David and his men burned them. And the Philistines came up yet again and spread themselves in the valley of Rephaim. And when David inquired of the Lord, he said, Thou shalt not go up but fetch a compass behind them and come upon them over against the mulberry trees and let it be when thou hearest the sound of a going in the tops of the mulberry trees that then thou shalt bestir thyself. For then shall the Lord go out before thee to smite the host of the Philistines. And David did so. And the Lord had commanded him and smote the Philistines from Geba until thou come to Gezer. We come to this passage and we look at verse 17, and we note that the Bible says, but when the Philistines heard that they had anointed David king over all Israel, or over Israel rather, all the Philistines came up to seek David. Note those words, all the Philistines came up to seek David. I want to speak to you on that subject. The Philistines came up to seek David. Now, as we have come to chapter number five, we arrived here last week. We saw that the men of Israel uh, had finally come to their senses, and they came to David and anointed him as king. He had already been anointed as the king of Judah, but now, at the conclusion of the long war with the death of Ishbosheth, the death of, of uh, Abner, the men of Israel turned their hopes finally to the one that the Lord had chosen for them all along. That was David. And they came and they anointed him as their king. <clears throat> we know that David went down to Jerusalem. We noted that last week, and he conquered Jerusalem. He delivered uh, Jerusalem, the city, from the occupation of the Jebusites, and he began to rule in Jerusalem 
and he perceived that the Lord had established him as king. The moment that happened, the Philistines, the Bible tells us, heard about it. And when they heard about it, immediately they came up to oppose David. They are perpetual enemies, if you will remember, of the nation of Israel. Uh, we read of them in the book of the Judges, in particular uh, during the period of Samson, as he judged the people of Israel to deliver them from the bondage and captivity of the Philistines. Uh, again, as we came to 1 Samuel, we studied the life of Samuel. We know that when Samuel was born, the Philistines were oppressors of Israel. And we know that there was a mighty battle there. And the Philistines were winning the battle, so the men of Israel decided to bring out the ark of God. They decided finally, after their rebellion against God, to bring God into their lives, but it was too late. The truth of the matter is they really didn't want to bring God into their lives. They wanted to use God to defeat their enemies. And so many times we uh, who know the Lord or know of the Lord oftentimes seek to use God to accomplish our means. That's exactly what the men of Israel did. The Ark of the Covenant was carried away by the Philistines, and they set the Ark up in the temple of their God. If you'll remember the temple of Dagon, they went the next morning to the temple of Dagon, and they found that Dagon, the the statue, the image that they worshipped, had fallen to the ground. They managed to set Dagon back up in his place and come back the next day and find that Dagon once again had fallen, but this time he lost his head and he lost his arms. They said, we can't have the Ark of the Covenant here. We can't have the presence of the Lord here anymore. The Philistines did. So they, they sent him to other regions of the land of the Philistines, and everywhere the Ark was sent, it caused trouble for the men of uh, Philistia. They developed physical afflictions and they had a, a, an awful plague of mice. Finally, all the lords of the Philistines said, we, we can't handle this anymore. And they put the ark on a cart and uh, had two cows pull the ark back uh, without, without anyone to navigate them. Uh, those two cows pulled the ark back to the land of Israel. During that period, God revealed his mighty power to the Philistines. They could not handle his presence. And instead of repenting of their sin and turning away from their pagan weak gods to the true and the living God, they walked on in their rebellion. And they really become for us a picture of the spiritual warfare and conflict that we all face. A Lucifer was created by God. He was, uh, as we read in the Old Testament, he was heaven's worship leader. He led the, the angels of God in song, but he rebelled against God and sought to exalt himself above the throne of God, and therefore he was cast out of heaven. And he is leading a rebellion against the Lord. He came uh, to Adam and to Eve. He came when he singled out Eve, of course, in the garden and 
and enticed her to sin, and he has been working and battling and fighting against Christ and his kingdom, just as the Philistines from the inception of David's rule began to fight against him. You see, this morning, whether we recognize it or not, we need to understand the truth that we are engaged in a spiritual conflict. We are in a spiritual warfare. If you'll turn with me, please, to the book of Ephesians, the Apostle Paul writes of this warfare that we are engaged in, that we are embroiled in. In Ephesians chapter number 6, well, we'll back up to verse 10, Ephesians chapter number six, uh, 6 and verse number 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. So Paul is writing to these men in Ephesus, these believers in Ephesus, and he's encouraging them to be strong. Well, what do they need to be strong for? What, what is, why, why would he admonish them uh, to be strong? <clears throat> Verse 11, put on the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Satan is our enemy. He's identified here, and he has tactics, wiles, he is powerful. He is deceiving. Uh, and uh, he has various tactics at his disposal. Verse 12, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. We are fighting an enemy who is stronger than flesh and blood. We're fighting an enemy who has dominion in the spiritual realm. Uh, we understand that the Lord Jesus, when he saw Satan, he says, the prince of this world cometh, speaking of the devil. He is called in other places in the Bible the God of this world. This is his realm. He assumed that title when he took it from Adam in the Garden of Eden when Adam sinned. But the rightful king, King Jesus, came and won the victory over the devil. He won it uh, on the, in the wilderness when Satan tempted him three times. He won it again on the cross of Calvary when he made the payment for our sin, and he demonstrated his power and victory when he came out of the grave victorious over death and hell. And you and I share in that victory that he has won. Satan is behind all opposition to the Lord and to his church and to his kingdom. In Psalm 2, the psalmist wrote, Why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. He that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh, and the Lord shall have them in derision. Then shall he speak unto them in his wrath and vex them in his sore displeasure. Yet have I set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. You see, the Philistines didn't like the fact that the king was on the hill, the hill of Zion. And Satan doesn't like the fact that King Jesus is set on the holy hill of Zion. And Satan is working, just as the Philistines work, 
to oppose the Lord Jesus and his church at every turn. And you and I who know the Lord are engaged in that battle. Now, when we, when we come to the battlefield, when we face the attack and onslaught of the enemy, there are some things that we need to do in response to the enemy. And as we look at this passage, as we see that the Philistines came up to seek David, we understand that the devil is coming up to seek not only to work against the church and the Lord in his kingdom, but to work against you as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 8, Be sober, be vigilant, for your adversary the devil as a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour. The Philistines came seeking David. I want you to know that Satan is seeking you. The Lord Jesus said to Peter, he's desired to have you that he might sift you like wheat. You and I need to be awakened this morning uh, to the fact that we are in a real struggle. We have a powerful adversary. His name is Satan. He is the ruler of principalities and powers with demonic hosts that serve him, and you and I are engaged in opposition against him. Now, we'll note three things in this passage that I think will prove helpful to us in our spiritual struggle and warfare that we're engaged in. Number one, we'll see that David was pursued by the enemy. We'll see, secondly, that David prayed unto the Lord. And then finally, we'll see that David prevailed over the enemy. I want you to go with me back to our text in 2 Samuel chapter 5 and verse 17. And note this, that David was pursued by the enemy. Note again, if you would, in verse 17, but when the Philistines heard that they had anointed David king over Israel, all the Philistines came up to seek David. They came with all their power and all their strength and all their might. And David heard of it and went down to the hold. The Philistines also came and spread themselves in the valley of Rephaim. You see, the Philistines had come to seek David. They had not come to seek him in order to pay tribute to him. They came to fight against him. They came demonstrating the size of their army, and they came to demonstrate the extent of their power. They came to the valley of Rephaim, which was the valley of the giants. Remember that the land of Canaan was occupied by giants, people great in stature, impressive people, powerful foes. And Satan came, or the Philistines came rather, uh, with a, a large army seeking to intimidate and oppose David in the infancy of his kingdom. Now we see here that they're seeking him. We see in verse number 22 that the Bible says after David won the first battle, there are two battles here recorded for us in, in verses 17 through 25. We're going to look at both of these battles together as we examine this passage of Scripture. And we know that David won both of them. We've already read that in the passage. So in verse 17, they came up the first time to seek David. And then the Bible tells us that after they were defeated the first time, look at verse 22, and the Philistines came up yet again and spread themselves in the valley of Rephaim. You see, what we learn here is that the enemy does not rest. 
The enemy does not stop. The enemy will continue to work against you. He is relentless. I want you to imagine how foolish Satan, though he is uh, of great intellect and great power, how foolish can he be? The being that was created by God, the being that was there for the creation of the world, that being who led the angels to worship and sing and glorify God, somehow deceived himself to think that he could fight against God and prevail. He is fighting a losing battle. You and I, who know the Lord Jesus, we are on the winning side. Jesus has already demonstrated his power over the devil. And those of us who know Christ share in his victory. We are more than conquerors through him that loved us. But although Satan is a defeated foe, he continues in his relentless attacks against Christ in his church. You would think that a reasonable person would finally give up the fight. But I want you to know we have a foe who will never give up. He is relentless. He is persistent in his efforts to fight against the Lord and his church. So they sought David. Then the Bible says in verse 18 that they spread themselves in the valley of Rephim. They spread out. They occupied every piece of ground they possibly could. This, again, is an effort uh, to uh, enlarge, at least in perception, their numbers, to intimidate and make the people of Israel to fear them and to think that they were larger in number than they actually appeared to be. I want you to know this about the devil. He is not satisfied with the ground he has. He always wants more. He wants more ground in your life. He wants more ground in this church. Satan cannot be satisfied to go hide and wait till the judgment. Oh, no. He will do everything he can to fight against the Lord and his church and against all of his children. Satan has spread himself against the church today. He spread himself against the gospel. He has spread himself against the truth of God's word and the doctrine of the deity of Christ. Those of us who are citizens of the kingdom, we need to recognize the fact that we have all been called to be soldiers to the king. We're not only citizens, but we're soldiers. That means we've been called on to fight the good fight of faith. We're engaged in a battle. We're engaged in warfare. We should expect combat. We should expect attacks. We should expect skirmishes. We should expect battles. Peter warned the believers, the Hebrew believers scattered abroad. He warned them. He said, think it not strange concerning the fiery trials. You see, we're going to have troubles and trials. We're going to have skirmishes. We're going to have conflicts. Peter said, don't, don't think that's some odd thing when that happens. Understand that's what is going to happen when you have an enemy like the devil working against you. 
So it helps us really, I think, to put things into perspective. As you think about your own life, as you think about this church, to understand that Satan is working against us. He has spread himself against those who are in the kingdom. You see, once you have enthroned the Lord Jesus in your heart, Satan will come. He will not like it when he hears about it. He'll show up. You see, the Bible says the Philistines, when they heard it, they came up. They all came up to fight against David. And all of the enemies of the Lord have come up to fight against him. And when you and I enthrone him in our heart, you can expect a spiritual battle to take place. Satan is pursuing every believer. And he and his demonic host have spread themselves against us. Now, what areas has Satan sought to occupy? Well, I just jotted down a few, and I want to give them to you. First of all, I I wrote this down. Satan has spread himself against the devotional life of the believer. When I talk about the devotional life, I'm talking about our fellowship and communion with Christ. How does that take place? It takes place in the context of our devotional life, meaning the reading of the Word of God, our time in prayer and fellowship with the Lord. Uh, This is our devotional life, and Satan uh, seeks to disrupt our fellowship with Christ. He hinders us from our reading and study of the Word of God. He resists us in our prayer life. When we kneel to pray and all the thoughts of the day begin to occupy our mind and all the distractions begin to come in, understand that that is Satan's tactic against you. The temptation to neglect the reading and study of the Word of God, the distractions that come when you try to do it, are all efforts, satanic efforts against us to keep us from uh, claiming ground in our devotional life with Christ. Satan has spread himself uh, against the sanctified life of the believer. The word sanctification means to be set apart. It means to be holy. Do you know the Bible teaches that God's people are to be holy, they're to be sanctified, they're to be separate. But we live in a generation where holiness is mocked. Even among those who profess to know Jesus as their Savior, holiness is mocked. It's ridiculed. It's scorned. Sin is minimized. Our hearts are deceived. We are led into compromise with sin, and we're seduced by our own sinfulness. You see, the Bible teaches that we are to be separate and to be holy under the Lord. We are to be conformed, not to this world, be not conformed to this world, but we are to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. How does that take place? Well, friend, I'll tell you how it takes place. It takes place when we learn And Romans 12, 1 and 2, those are great verses for us to learn to pray. We should pray those every day. To present our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable unto God. That is our reasonable service, the Bible tells us. Not to be conformed to this world, to think like this world. To take on the attitudes and behavior and conduct and appearance of this world but to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. How does that renewal take place? Well, it takes place in my devotional life. When I enter into fellowship and communion with God, 
when I listen to his word and when I respond in obedience to it, then the spirit of God and the word of God begins to change me and I begin to take shape as God molds me and makes me after his image. Satan has spread himself against the church life of the believer. Uh, We live in a generation where there are those who want to minimize the importance of corporate worship. The Bible tells us that we are not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. What happens when we come together in corporate worship? Well, the greatest thing that happens is that the Lord is present with us. His presence is with us. He raises us up together and seats us with him in heavenly places. He communicates to us. He speaks to us. His word is proclaimed, and oh, how we need to hear the word of God. But not only are we to be hearers of the word, we're to be doers of the word. And Satan will do all that he can to distract us from hearing the word of God. In this moment, this very moment, as you sit in this congregation listening to me preach, there are thoughts that are occupying minds. There are There are devices that we carry in our purses or pockets uh, that we uh, have such a habit of looking at. These things cause distractions and keep us from hearing what God has to say to us. Uh, Sometimes I am presented with struggles and conflicts that people in our church are dealing with and difficulties in their lives, and, and these difficulties and these conflicts are addressed on a weekly basis in the pulpit of this church. Not because I'm smart enough to know what they are, but it's because the word of God is that which will make us complete and perfect and thoroughly furnished unto all good works. God's word meets the needs. But I I have to be honest with you, I am perplexed that so many who are having so much difficulty, attend so little. When you come to the house of God, what expectation do you have? Do you expect to worship and meet with God? Do you expect to hear God's voice? Do you expect to have the Holy Spirit speak to you through the ministry of the word? And do you expect to do anything as a result of hearing it? I have to say, there are those who do, and there are those who do not. Satan is spreading himself against the church life of the believer. What's the big deal about church? Well, it's a big deal to Jesus. It's a big deal to his kingdom, and it ought to be a big deal to you. He wants to distract you from hearing the word. He wants to discourage you from service. Oh, you don't have time for that. You don't need to get involved in that. He wants to occupy your schedule and your mind with vain activities. He wants to disrupt the fellowship and the unity of the church, and he wants to entice God's people to rob him of the tithe which belongs to him. I want you to know that Satan has spread himself in every possible area. 
because he is in revolt and rebellion to King Jesus. He spread himself against the soul life of the believer. The soul is the seat of our emotions, our intellect, and our will. Satan seeks to corrupt our thinking with foolish ideas, fostering attitudes that often are displeasing to God, leading us into selfishness, apathy, indifference, laziness, carnal divisions, strife, enmity, unforgiveness, jealousy, and discontentment, thereby rendering our testimony ineffective. Oh, Satan wants to get a hold of your soul, your attitude, your emotions. He wants to corrupt it. He wants to occupy it. Oh, Satan has spread himself against the home life of the believer. The home life. I mean, what is he doing in this current age? He's attacking the institution of marriage, human sexuality, and gender. He is attacking the believer's marriage and flaming the fires of selfishness in the hearts of those who occupy the home, creating dissatisfaction within, cutting off the lines of communication, dividing families, sowing the seeds of rebellion in the hearts of our children, enticing our young people into sin, and discouraging parents who are growing weary in the battle. That's what Satan is doing. He has spread himself. He's after you. He's after this church. We need to understand that this morning. I can tell you that the people in the Ukraine know they have an enemy. By the millions, they fled their city. And we are praying for them. But I want you to understand just as they are under attack in this current hour, you and I are under the attack of the devil. So what are we going to do about it? Well, that's really the question, right? David, you're the king. You've been anointed. All of Israel has come and anointed you as king. And now, David, here comes all the Philistines. I mean, they're all here. And look at it, David. They're not just all here. They're everywhere. That's the way it felt to them. So they looked to David and they said, what are you going to do? Well, that's a really good question because I have the same question for you this morning. What are you going to do? Well, notice what David did. Look in verse 19. And David inquired of the Lord. I'll tell you what David did. He prayed unto the Lord. David prayed unto the Lord. And David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I go up to the Philistines? Wilt thou deliver them into mine hand? Lord, should I just go and fight them? And if I go and fight them, will you deliver them? Are you going to give me the victory? Uh, this prayer uh, teaches us how we should respond to the attacks of the devil. How we should respond in the face of this opposition. You see, in David's response, he avoided the temptation of relying upon his past victories or upon his reputation as a soldier. Uh, we've noted those in, in our study thus far. 
but David was known as a warrior. So it might have appeared that David knew exactly what to do, but David avoided the temptation to rely upon that and instead learned to rely upon the Lord. His prayer was an expression of his humility, and it was an acknowledgement of his dependence upon the Lord for guidance and strength. The Bible tells us, trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways, acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths. You see, we can't trust our hearts, can we? We can't trust our abilities. We can't trust our emotions. One day we're charged up, the next day we've hit rock bottom. We cannot trust in ourselves. We must learn to trust in God. And through prayer, David is acknowledging his own inability at the same time acknowledging the ability that could deliver him, not David, but the Lord. How are you and I going to live in victory when we're facing the devil and his demonic hosts? I'll tell you how. There's only one way. It's in the strength of the Lord, in the power of his might, not in ours. You see, the greatest sin in our prayerlessness is pride. You see, by our prayerlessness, here is what we reveal about ourselves. We reveal that we think that we can deal with the complex and difficult issues of life without any help from God. We just, Lord, I can handle this. By the way, I'll be all right, and if I get into trouble, Lord, I'll call out and call on you. That's the way we want oftentimes to live our lives. Sometimes that's the way our children uh, want to treat us as, as parents. You know, I think I got it figured out, Dad. No, no problem. No worries. If I get in trouble, I'll call you. Well, see, our Father is here for us, and he knows that we can't make it a step without him. And when we learn that we must rely upon him in prayer, that we must humble ourselves, that we must come before him because we're fighting a battle and we're fighting a foe who is too strong for us, but not too strong for him, then we'll learn to come to him in prayer. In that same context that I read to you earlier in Ephesians chapter 6, where we learned that we're wrestling not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. The Bible says this in Ephesians 6, 18, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for the saints. You see, prayer is the key to victory. It's the key to victory because it opens to us the power of our almighty God. Prayer has always been the key to victory and power in the church. Today we find ourselves in desperate need, and we must do something about it. The, the Philistines have come. They have set the battle in array. They have spread themselves against us. What are we going to do? We've got to do something. Well, the something we've got to do is the something we don't do. We've got to pray. Pray for our children. Pray for our spouses. Pray for our homes. Pray in the midst of temptation. Pray in the midst of trials. Keep your eyes on Jesus and pray. In verse 23, after the Philistines had lost the first battle, they came back again to fight. David again avoids the temptation 
to rely on past victories. And the Bible says in verse 23 that David inquired of the Lord. You see, our enemy is persistent. Therefore, our prayer life must be persistent. And so we see here that David was pursued by the enemy, and so too are you being pursued by the enemy. We see that when he faced with the enemy that David prayed unto the Lord, and you and I have the opportunity to pray unto the Lord. May God help us to learn to pray. Those problems that you like to talk about, those problems that you want to solve, learn to pray over them. Learn to pray over them. You say, well, somebody's got to do something. I agree. The greatest thing we can do is pray. After we've prayed, we can arise and go to work. But as someone has said, there shouldn't be any work done until we've learned to pray first. Now, an impulsive person like me has a hard time learning that lesson. And maybe you're like me. We better learn to pray. Let me give you the third thought. David prevailed over the enemy. He won the battle. The victory was his. Now, notice, if you would, please, in verse 19, and the Lord said unto David, this is the first time that David prayed after the enemy had come up, and the Lord said unto David, go up, for I will doubtless deliver the Philistines into thine hand. God said, David, rise up, go fight him, and go and understand this, I will deliver the Philistines. He went with a promise, a promise from God. God has given us great and exceeding and precious promises, has he not? And we must embrace those promises as we live our daily lives. I want you to understand that the Lord never intended for his people to live in defeat. Victory was theirs all along. And now the Lord is giving David assurance that if he will go and embrace God's promise, he will live in victory. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 8 and verse 28 that nothing can separate us from the love of God. You think of all the situations that you're dealing with in your personal life, in your home life, in your work life, all the trials and temptations that are coming to you, the things that you're facing that nobody knows about, I want you to know that Jesus knows about them. And Jesus has given you promises, and you can trust him and he will deliver you. He doesn't intend for you to live in defeat. He doesn't intend for you to live in bondage. And so may God give us grace to rise up. Look at verse 20. And David came to Belparazim and smote them there and said, The Lord hath broken forth upon mine enemies before me as the breach of waters. Therefore he called the name of that place Belparazim. David went up in obedience to God, and it was as if the floodwaters of God's wrath were unleashed on the Philistines. Now, I don't think for one moment this, this scripture is teaching us that literal water came down on the Philistines. That's not what it's teaching us. Nor do I think for one moment that David and his men were so powerful that they made easy work of the Philistines. No, I don't believe that. Here's what I believe. I believe that the presence of the Lord went out before them and smote the Philistines. And David was just doing some cleanup work. 
Now, he had a sword in his hand, and he was fighting, and we have a sword, the Word of God. It doesn't bring death. It brings life. But we are to fight and resist the work of Satan, and God is going before us, and God is giving victory. Where I grew up in East Tennessee, we had the Norris Dam. And uh, I used to fish below that dam on the Clinch River, and I sometimes in my imagination wondered what would happen if the dam burst. And that valley was filled with water. Can you imagine the force and strength of that current? I'm telling you, people would be killed the landscape would be changed. Houses would be destroyed by that rush of water. I want you to know the power of God is able to remove every stronghold that Satan has. You just have to see God unleash it. Notice in verse 21, and there they left their images and David and his men burned them. Again, I think back to 1 Samuel when Dagon fell in the temple when the ark was there. God is exerting his power. He's demonstrating clearly to these Philistines that the gods they have trusted in are, as David said earlier in chapter 5, the lame and the blind, speaking of the idols of the Jebusites. They're images with no power. And so they're destroyed. Then we have the second battle. When the men of Israel or the men of the Philistines come up again against the nation of Israel. And again, David avoids the temptation to rely on past victory. Well, it worked last time. God said, go up, so let's just go up again. You see, here we learn this pivotal lesson that we need. We need God every moment of the day. And we need to acknowledge that and we need to seek him. So when the enemy returned to fight against David, David once again returned to the place of prayer and asked God for wisdom. Verse 23, and when David inquired of the Lord, he said, thou shalt not go up, but fetch a compass behind them and come upon them over against the mulberry trees. And let it be when thou hearest the sound of a going in the tops of the mulberry trees that then thou shalt bestir thyself for then shall the Lord go out before thee to smite the host of the Philistines. Perhaps David had in his mind as he prayed to the Lord that the Lord would say, go up. That's what he said earlier. But this time God says, thou shalt not go up. Instead of going up, ascending up to the battle, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go around them. He says in verse 23, but fetch a compass behind them. Go around them, get behind them, and come over against the mulberry trees. And then when you get there, here's what I want you to do. I want you to wait. You see, there are times when we need to go, and there are times when we need to wait. There are times when the threat seems ominous and we're wondering what to do, and we get nervous and think we've got to do something. But God teaches us to wait. Look at verse 24. And let it be when thou hearest the sound of a going in the tops of the mulberry trees, that then thou shalt bestir thyself, for then shall the Lord go out before thee to smite the host of the Philistines. You see, he said, wait till you hear the sound. Now, it was more than a gentle breeze blowing the, the leaves around in the trees. It was a mighty marching host of God 
going out to war against the enemy. If you listen carefully, you can hear it. And all the clamor and all the noise and all the hatred and all the wickedness that we're hearing in this generation, if you'll just get close into the presence of God and sit underneath the mulberry trees, you'll hear it. I can hear the horse's hooves as they're being pulled from the stall. The captain is getting ready to mount. His heavenly host is getting ready to saddle up. The angel is pulling out his trumpet, getting ready to sound the horn. King Jesus is coming again. And when he comes, we're coming with him. The last trumpet. Are you going to hear the sound of a blowing trumpet and a mighty army? And we're coming with Jesus. And he's going to get rid of the devil once and for all. And we're going to live with him forevermore. You see, we need to keep up the good fight, friends. Oh, it has a tendency to wear us down, doesn't it? Look in verse 25. And David did so as the Lord commanded him and smote the Philistines from Geba until thou come to Gazer. You know, I think one of the great things the devil uses against us is the tool of discouragement. To make us think we're not getting anywhere that we're not making any progress, that nothing's happening. But in the midst of the attack of the Philistines against David, do you know what happened? God gave him all the land of Israel. All the Philistines were driven away, not by David's hand, but by the power of God. Let me say this to you. In the midst of the attacks and the struggles and the trials and the temptations, if you'll trust God, if you'll seek God, if you'll obey God, Here's what you're going to find, that God will give you more and more than you ever imagined. So trust in him. Rest in him. You see, I think so many have just decided to go AWOL. They have no heart to fight. They've left the battle. Don't leave the battle. Don't give up. Don't quit on your family. Don't quit on your kids. Don't quit on Jesus. Don't quit on the church. Don't quit on your Bible reading and devotion. Don't quit on the notion and the doctrine and the teaching of holiness. Keep fighting the good fight. Some, of course, have become POWs. They've been ensnared. They've been taken captive by the devil. Why don't you cry out to the Lord today? He will deliver you. And some of casualties in the war, they're carrying scars and injuries. Do you know that there's a healing balm in Gilead? Jesus is a great physician. 
I've learned that some people don't want to recover from their wounds. But the Lord desires for you to recover. Why don't you bring those wounds to Jesus? Allow him to touch you. Allow him to heal you. Allow him to restore you. Seek him for strength. Seek him for your marching orders. And if you have never made him the king of your life, by all means today, come and do that. Would you come and acknowledge that he is king, that he is Lord, that you are a sinner. And today, by faith, you want to acknowledge him and receive him as your Savior. Let's not get weary in the battle, friends. The Philistines have come. Let's be faithful in the fight. Thank you for listening. We pray that God has used his word to speak to you today. If you'd like to learn more about Tabernacle, you can visit us online at tabernaclebaptistchurch.com. There, you'll find additional information about our church, opportunities to partner with us financially, as well as other resources that we hope can be a help to you. May God bless you, and thank you once again for listening.